Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Buenos Aires, Argentina, for the annual World Travel and Tourism Council Global Summit. And uh, this is where the world's most influential movers and shakers in the travel industry come to figure out what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and what they can do better. A lot of surprises, some interesting trends that needed more interpretation. That's what they're doing here. And uh, my first guest on the show this week is someone who I've known for a long time who is one of those movers and shakers. He's the CEO of Marriott, Mr. Arnie Sorensen. How are you? I'm good, Peter. Good to see you. Let's get right into this. A former radio host? <laughs> yeah, former radio host in college. Yeah, you can see I didn't make my career in radio. And what was the name of that show? Night Breezes. It always opened with an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. And it was something <laughs> I enjoyed myself with. I'm not sure I had many listeners. Are there tapes available? I doubt it. Well, this, was, this was a pre-internet There's show. always the past that can come back to haunt you, you know. Before everything was recorded. Did you take requests? Uh, it was called yeah, Night occasionally, occasionally people would call in. Okay, yeah. But nobody yeah. asked to play Misty for you. Nobody asked. No, okay, I okay. never played Play Misty for you. All right, let's move on to the more important things like travel and tourism around the world and those numbers that are staggering right now. We know about the GDP stuff. And that's part of the WTTC mantra, if you will, about 10% of global GDP, one out of every 10 jobs. One of the surprises is one out of five new jobs is now created by the travel and tourism industry. But from your perch at Marriott, what are you seeing that's either exciting you or worrying you? Well, the, the biggest excitement is that for two reasons, we are moving more and more towards travel and tourism. And in, maybe include dining in this for, for a second. One reason is that increasingly we, we want experiences. We are ranking higher in our order of priorities 
special things we can remember than we are buying stuff. Right. And if you, certainly if you compare it to when I was starting work, we were consumed with, okay, when am I going to buy a car? When exactly. am I going to buy a house? I'm going to invest for the future in, you right. know, what, whatever it is, your IRAs want, or your, whatever your it is. kids don't want a car anymore. I've got four adult kids. None of them has a car. Uh, wow. but, but they want a vacation or they want to go out and have a great meal. Maybe they know somebody. M- maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think mo- most importantly, it's yeah. because, uh, they value those experiences and to some extent they want to share those. Well, they value those experiences more. Right? That's right. That's right. And, and so that's one reason we see more and more travel. Yeah. The second is really the growth of the global middle class. And obviously that's quite germane to WTTC's, uh, conversation, which is about international travel as right. much as domestic travel. And there we're seeing that for the first time we have hundreds of millions of folks who now have the resources to do more than worry about a roof over their heads, food for their children, and a job and, and health care. But not only resources, they're making conscious choices that they're going to deny themselves something else in order to have those experiences. Yes, but but they, they are first getting their fundamental needs met. Right. Uh, and until your fundamental needs are met, you really don't have choice. Never right? bothered me. No, just kidding. No, but I, I hear what you're saying. And yet earlier today, we were, I was listening to one of your panels about income distribution gaps. Yep. That's, a staggering, that's a staggering gap, and it's only getting wider. Well, and this, this would be the area of concern. Uh, yeah. And so it, it could be t- we could focus on income inequality. I think more important than that, though, is there's a sense in many places in the world that the opportunity available to people is not enough. Uh, that their wages have been stagnant or there aren't jobs available or we're not sure which job to go for. It's not clear what our future is going to look like. And that has been tapped into by politicians around the world as something that uh, propels them into office uh, and obviously can be a concerning area. We need to make sure as a travel industry, people understand the statistic you shared before. We created one in five jobs in 2017 across the globe. So I, this is yeah. this is a place that creates opportunities. And I do make and a it, distinction, and maybe you'll agree with this. You know, there's a, a wonderful b- uh, billboard in Los Angeles, and it, and it says, uh, oh, you're an actor? And then the billboard flips says, which restaurant? Right? Because... They're not working at that restaurant because it's a profession that they want to pursue. They're working because it's a job as a means to get to somewhere else while they're, while they're trying to perfect their career, right? Right. Whereas if you go to the traditional European mar- uh, model, the person who's that waiter in that, uh, that restaurant in Florence, that's their profession and they love it. Well, that's that's right. Now, you know, L.A. is a is sort of a unique environment in a way. I can I can find uh, your restaurant in Topeka with a lot of out of work actors. But, but the, the great thing about L.A. is those would be aspiring actors right. have still got a dream, right? Yeah, uh, they've got a vision and they've got right. something that they're working towards. The bigger question is in in parts of the country or in communities where we don't know what to work for. Uh, and and that lack of optimism or hope is the thing that's feeding this populism or, or nationalism or whatever it is and and we need to we need to work together as industry not just travel and, and tourism but other industries to say how do we make sure that opportunities are available so folks say i've got something to look forward to well it's also coming down to a definition of terms of what the job is and what it offers and of course the training that supports that right yeah uh, we we have said for years uh take care of your associate your associate will take care of the guests guests will come back again and again what we mean by that really is build careers for our folks, right. not just jobs. Right. And and those careers can be housekeepers. Uh, how do you make sure they're paid well, uh, that they can take pride in their work, that they're given the tools they need to be successful? And you imbue those jobs with a dignity, which folks can say, I'm proud that I'm doing this. 
Right, so basically anybody can start as a really bad DJ and become the CEO of Marriott. I, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> well, let's get more serious for a second because, you know, we just came back from doing a piece in Mexico, and I'll give you the story. Everybody's talking about the wall. Well, in Tijuana, they built a bridge, and most people don't even know about the bridge, and two million Americans are using that bridge every year now. And what it is, it's a not, the bridge, by the way, is only 900 feet long. It goes from San Diego to, to the Tijuana airport. And everybody is now walking across that bridge to get lower fares and fly anywhere they want. You yeah. can fly from Tijuana to Beijing now. People don't even know it. And this is a bridge that works. Yeah, yeah. But yet we're all hung up on the concept of the wall. Yeah, I mean, obviously you've got the wall has become its own symbol, if you will. I mean, obviously there's a there is a concrete wall, no pun intended. Yes. Uh, but but it's also a symbol of a conversation which is happening in the midst of that conversation. Americans are continuing in big numbers to go to Mexico for vacation. Oh, yeah. And uh, you the have, be- the and beaches you have no- in Mexico. And you have numbers of hotels there. The beaches in Mexico are filled with Americans. Yes. And because it's a great destination, there's great value in that destination. The Mexican culture is a, is a great thing. And so there's a relationship between the United States and Mexico which continues to, to thrive and be robust. I thought it was quite interesting the other day that the, the current president of Mexico got all— there's an election about to happen in Mexico. He got all the other warring candidates in the same room to agree on one thing. They hate the wall. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I thought that was an interesting position to take. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a rallying cry. I mean, there, there are there are folks that often said a little bit tongue in cheek that uh, uh, some of our most divisive political leaders can also be in other countries the biggest unifiers because they pull people together and say we can agree on one thing we don't like X. Yeah, and but I was really surprised to see that for the first time in the history of Mexican politics they got everybody in the same room. Yeah, so you're right. There's some strength in that. Reason for hope. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. You're opening up one new hotel around the world every 14 hours. Well, we did it. We did a careful calculation at the beginning of 2017 yeah. and said in 2017, 2018, and 2019, we will open on average one hotel every 14 hours around the world over a three-year period of time. It's a lot of hotels. And by the way, I could do I, that math. Yeah, I, I hear that statistic, and sometimes I think, "Oh my goodness, how are we going to get this all done?" Actually, in 18, we'll open more hotels than we opened in 17, uh, and in 19, so we'll open every more hotels. And a half hours? So it's going to be a little bit, a little bit more, more frequently than every 14 hours. Another statistic: yeah. in 2017, we signed more than two hotel deals a day. Our development team around the world, virtually none of those are opened yet, right. but they are they're, openings they're that they're in the pipeline and they're coming down the pike. Yep. Well, you know, if you take a look at airline development. You know, when you look at the airlines that have gotten into trouble, they're the ones that grew too fast, right? They weren't managing the growth, right? Right. How do you manage one hotel every, excuse me, 12 and a half hours? Well, we do it with great partnerships. So here we are in Buenos Aires. Uh, we've got 11 hotels open. I think we've got three or, three or four that we're talking about in the development pipeline. Every one of those development deals is with a local Argentine partner. They know how to build in the market. We wouldn't pretend to know how to build right. something in this market. They understand it more deeply than we do, and so they understand what's happening in Argentine politics. They say this is a bet we think we want to make based on our prospects for the economy. 
Uh, we're working with them. We hope that they're financing the hotels right. Obviously, a hotel asset is a multi-decade asset, and there will be times over their lives where they perform extraordinarily well. There'll be some times when they perform less well. Right. They need to be financially structured in a way that allows them to weather that. But they also have to understand their demographics and the audience that's particular to ind- individual brands. Well, they have to understand the the demand dynamics, yeah. and they also have to understand the branding dynamics. And and obviously, we we one of the reasons we're signing so many hotel deals is we've got a great portfolio of thirty brands where mm-hmm. folks can say, all right, in this market, given what's already here or what's not here, here's the brand I think that is most interesting, uh, and we've probably got a solution for them. I'll tell you a story. I was at a, an industry conference recently, and I said, and this is right after the Marriott Starwood deal. Can anybody here? And there were only people in there, not consumers, industry people. Can anybody here name all the Marriott brands? Yeah. One guy raised his hand and said, and who do you work for? Yeah. Marriott. Marriott. And he named them. And it got applause. said, no, don't sit down yet. Now, can you define them? Yeah. And that was a tougher challenge. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in a sense, you can, uh, I use St. Regis and Ritz-Carlton often as the illustration of this. Ritz-Carlton, Marriott has had since 1995. St. Regis obviously was started by Starwood. They are both iconic global luxury brands. Why wouldn't you want both of them in your portfolio? Because they have their both set of they have both sets of loyal of loyal customers. Yeah, and over time we want to make sure we're draw, drawing distinctions between the two. But ultimately, folks are going to be looking for a destination and an experience. And the more choice we can offer them, the more powerful our platform. Speaking of choice and loyalty, let's talk about frequent stay programs because you had your merging issues between yours and Starwoods. Starwood had a great reputation. Yeah. Uh, going back to Barry Sternlich when he figured out no more blackout dates and yeah. we're going to make this actually a valuable program where people can. Right. Our biggest loyal customers actually get a chance to actually redeem it, who are, by the way, the the least likely to do it anyway. But when they want to do it, you better give it to them, right? How were you able to, to adjust with a new program that still spoke to what Starwood was doing. Well, as you mentioned earlier this week, we announced the the, the uh, profile, if you will, of the new merged program. 110 million members growing at a million, million and a half a month, something like that. It drives a majority of our room's business, that group, that community of folks. A million and a half a month are joining. A million and a half a month are joining. Wow. Uh, and and what we, you know, the start folks were, of course, nervous from the beginning. Uh, we had invested in the SBG program. Suddenly Marriott's coming along. What are you going to do to my points? What are you going to do to the program I know and love? By the way, if Starwood had acquired Marriott, the Marriott Reward members would have said the same thing because they had invested in the Marriott Rewards program. And we said, relax. Uh, we're going to be bigger. Therefore, we can find efficiencies. We're going to have a better credit card program with Amex and J.P. Morgan Chase. Therefore, there will be more economics there as well. We can deliver more value to our guests. We can deliver it more efficiently to our hotel owners and drive something which is classically a win-win circumstance. And we did that. On average, the value to the pro- of the program to our guests is going up by 20%. Because I remember when, when Sterling revamped their program uh, at Starwood, he went to the owners and said, look, anytime you're more than 92% booked, let us block book some rooms at a rate that you can live with so that we can actually redeem those points to our, our right. highest loyalty members. Right. Is that the same principle you've kept? Well, that's right. There, there's some arcane stuff in here, but, yeah. but basically the notion is that the hotels are paid the value of the room they're uh, giving up, if you will, for right. a redemption night. Uh, and in high season, they expect a better rate. Uh, and when it's high occupancy, they expect a better rate. And, you're, and you'll pay that better And rate. we're paying that better rate. That's right. Wow. All right, now let's look at some other numbers. Visitation numbers to the United States. Uh, something that I know concerns you, uh, and you and I have talked about this before, 
they're not going up. They're, they're, those numbers, I mean, they are going up in terms of the numbers of people not showing up. Yeah. Well, one of the frustrating things about this issue is how hard it is to get the data. In fact, the Department of Commerce they announced just last it. week that they're suspending the what data. What does that mean? Because they're not confident that the data that's been reported so far is accurate. Are, so, you, are you confident? Well, when they're not confident, that, that gives me less reason to yeah. be confident. Uh, of course, we look at our own data. But you can tell from your own, right? Yeah, year yes, over year. Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, we can look in New York and say, okay, what, what best, our best guess, what do we think is international arrivals in those hotels, right. et cetera. And uh, generally, I think what we see is that the U.S. inbound business from all foreign markets was about flat, 17 versus 16 in a globe in which international travel was up 7%. So by definition, the United States lost share in 2017. Uh, That loss of share is a real loss of jobs. A few more statistics. About 75 million annual visitors to the United States. Uh, And where was it like three years ago? Well, before 9-11, it was 100 million. Right, and we had that 10-year lost decade. Well, that's right. Yeah. And, and, of course, p- part of that is, is perfectly logical. We, we erected a security apparatus that, right. that was a, it had to be done. Uh, but we know that uh, if we had another 30 million visitors, we'd have another million jobs in the United States. And that's, and that's you, yeah. just math. So, yeah. uh, again, the loss of share is a direct loss of jobs in the United States. And part of what you do in another capacity that you have with Brand USA is to talk to the government officials in the U.S. to try to let them relate to those numbers. We are, yeah, Brand USA really is all about communicating the invitation to the rest of the world to come and see right. us in the United States. Not to come and immigrate to the United States, right. not to move to the United States, not to come do damage to the United States, but come and take a vacation in the United States, explore it, spend money in hotels and restaurants and retail and amusements and all the other things you get to do, take that memory home, speak positively about the United States, which people do once they've experienced it. It's an easy message to deliver. And it's easy math to do. It's very easy math. But now you have to go to the Secretary of Commerce. You've got to go to the U.S. Department. All those different agencies that have an impact on the perception and the optics to explain to them perhaps the damage that's been done. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, and there are a number of travel organizations that are engaged right. in this conversation. I think the, the government understands the economic power of travel and tourism, uh, and I think they want very much to make sure that it continues to be a robust industry. Uh, but again, there are many political agendas, and uh, we've got to make sure that we, uh, we can walk this path, which is to say we do need to enhance security, but at the same time, we do want you to come and take your vacation in the United States. Both those messages can be communicated. Because looking at New York as an example, five years ago there was a room shortage in New York. Now everybody showed up and built a hotel out of every little warehouse they could find. You have a huge number of rooms in New York you'd have to fill anyway. And you couple that with a drop in international arrivals, that's a problem. Yeah, that's right. Although it's all relative. New York is still, the hotels in New York are still uh, chock-a-block. Your hotel, I need an air traffic controller in there, the, the, the Marriott Marquis. That and the Hilton, those are the two biggest ones on the, on the block, right? Yeah, that's the, Mar- the Marquis is the biggest hotel in New York. How many that's rooms? Right. 2,000. That's a lot of rooms. Yeah. A lot of check and, and And full virtually every night. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
next guest I've known for many, many years. Uh, he runs a company called Sertaris, which you probably haven't heard of, but you have heard of some of the companies he does own and run. His name is Greg O'Hara. Thank you for joining us, Greg. Uh, one of which, of course, is American Express Global Business. Uh, and one of the things that you do is track trends and travel. That's true. Uh, I mean, you monitor that like a hawk, mm -hmm. right? I mean, because as you, you, the needle moves one degree, you better anticipate it or you better recover. That's true. So one of the things that, that came up this morning in, in, in the discussion here at WTTC is this huge income distribution gap mm -hmm. that is since 1987 has been staggering in terms of the of the width yes do you how do you see that impacting travel so we think that the the general trend as people get older these days is that they also get richer and that that's true in almost every income category uh, even low income and middle income people are getting richer as they get older mostly because they're not buying assets when you and i were young guys these material things yes um they're not buying watches they're not buying homes they're not buying all kinds of things i they, by the way i went by one of the airports the other day at a peak travel time and they had huge area there for duty-free watches empty yes well that was full when we were young guys yeah and today, people are, are looking for experiences. Oftentimes, people take multi-generational trips. Uh, grandparents take, who are wealthy take parents who are less wealthy, take millennials who are even less wealthy, and they all go together. Uh, one of the trends we've seen, for instance, at one of our portfolio companies, Ama Waterways, is that we have a lot of people. That business is up probably 20 or 30% year we over year in the category. We actually broadcast from one of their ships uh, oh, good. just about three weeks ago Excellent. In, in Amsterdam. Yeah. I didn't know that. Now you do. There yeah. we go. Um, and so we've seen that intergenerational travel, multi-generational travel happen. And that's that's one of the f new trends is it, that didn't happen. You didn't generally take uh, vacations, big vacations, uh, with your grandparents and your parents and the kids. That was kind of confined to Disney World. Sure. You know, I go back to, to 2007, 2008, the financial crisis, and I saw a, bo a boom then in multi-generational travel, mm -hmm. but for a different reason. Sort of like a Last Supper mentality. People said, <laughs> you know, if we don't go this year, we're never going to go. Grab everybody, you know, strap granny to the roof and let's go. Part of that is demand elasticity. So what ends up happening in the travel business is if, it, if, if demand goes down for three to six months, it snaps back such that over the period of, of the last 12 months in any given period, it's almost always constant, which is up in lockstep with global GDP. So somewhere between two and a two and a half percent a year. So when you see that kind of growth and, and mm -hmm. dare I say, sustained growth, mm -hmm. where do you see the big surprises? I mean, look, right now they're building cruise ships at a record number. Every shipyard's full at their 100% capacity. Mm -hmm. They're building ships of every size and pedigree. That's a lot of cabins to fill. Yes. Well, across our portfolio companies, we're probably the largest distributor of cruises in the world. Um, out of America, that, that's probably 30%-ish of all the cruises that get sold in America. And so we've seen a demand for that, and that has to do, I think, with aging. Cruising makes kind of life very, very simple. The product is really good. People really like it. But, you know, I find that interesting you say aging because the whole, the whole uh, momentum in the cruising is to get the median age down. Sure. Cause the, cause, but the growth, if you look at it in ADR, yeah. tends to be in the, in the older set. Uh, Carnival does a really good job, for instance, with the younger set. Right. Um, and I think also you can take,
take, cruising kind of fixes your cost. So it's a little bit like the all-inclusive vacations I took as a kid with my parents. So my, my parents could predict exactly how much the trip would cost. There wasn't a lot of vari- variation. And I think cruising does a good job at that as well. So you're not concerned, though, about the, the, the huge amount of building going on. You think they'll be able to fill that capacity? Yeah, I th- but at what price, right? That's that's the well, key yeah. is, is, is we'll see what price. So far, prices are holding. They keep adding capacity. I think cruising is up 20, 20, 35% a year, depending on what year you're in. And they seem to be able to hold price. So I'm not... Well, going back to your argument about experience, mm-hmm. they're going to ports that you didn't even know they went to before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. we have a, it's I think not we have just a, the seven-day Caribbean cruise. We have a mutual friend, Manfredi Lefebvre. That he'll, every, he'll be on the show. Absolutely. Every every time you mention some place that you think they never you you never heard of, Manfredi tells us Silver Seas stops there. <laughs> I mean, they're actually stopping in Bangladesh. Yes, yes. I mean, who knew, right? Well, a lot of places. I think what you're looking at is the travel industry is reasonably good at rewarding uh, reformers. So if they reform in Bangladesh people migrate there. We we saw the Prime Minister of Rwanda yesterday, and he's reforming, and people are migrating there. Even Saudi Arabia, right? They, they're, 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 they're proposing all kinds of relaxations on their rules, and, and people will go there. They, they, have, they have great historical uh, sites that a lot of people haven't seen in our lifetime. So well, we're talking we'll about the world of experiential one-upsmanship. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be first on their block. True, true. Right? I mean, that's part of your core audience. Yes, um, we have that audience where we have a lot of people that are looking for experiences. A lot of people go back to the same places uh, because there's comfort in that. And I, I think I said this morning, it's really, really hard to hate what you know. So I know in my own life, we choose destinations for our children uh, where they get them out of their comfort zone. Uh, we went to Oman for a week, uh, Thanksgiving a little while ago. We're going. And to by the way, when I think when I think Thanksgiving turkey, I think of Oman. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and they did a great job. And highly, please don't tell me you had turkey in Oman. Hot, no, I didn't. Um, but highly recommend that trip to anybody. Uh, this summer we're going to the Republic of Georgia for uh, a, f- a few days, and, and um, we expect to have a good experience there as well. We're talking to Greg O'Hara, the founder and CEO of Sertaris, and uh, probably somebody who's involved in the next time you travel, you just didn't know it. Back with more from the WTTC in Buenos Aires with Greg and Peter Greenberg right after this. Peter Greenberg here with you from Buenos Aires. We've been speaking to Greg O'Hara, the founder and CEO of Sertaris. But once again, to, put, to bring people up to date, it's American Express Global Business Travel. You basically have a financial position in a river cruise company. Yes. You guys are you're everywhere. I wouldn't say everywhere, but we're trying to be. We okay. work in, you're not in waste management. No, we're not in waste management. Okay. Although it's a good business, I hear. <laughs> yeah, we'll sleep with the fishes. Mm-hmm. But bottom line is, as you see all the trends, what's the one that's, that's worrying you? Worrying me? Um... I don't like the protectionism, I would say, by a lot of the governments out there where they're, where they're starting to put up walls and borders. They're making uh, a higher level of friction to travel. You're seeing that in inbound visitors to the United States. Those numbers are down. The numbers are down, which is sad because, again, uh, like I said earlier, it's very difficult to hate what you know. You know we've, the U.S. has spent you know, the better part of the last 100 years educating the world, and they either stay here and become part of our, our society or they go back home and they tell other people that we're not such that we're not such bad people and i'm sad to see that see that change i think well this is the second time we've seen it change it, it changed right after 9 11 mm-hmm. and it was like what they call the lost decade correct and then it's changing again now where people believe that the united states but for better or worse mostly i think worse mm-hmm. that the united states is unwelcoming inhospitable closed 
Because it is. I, I was an immigrant to the United States, so I went. I had to go through the uh, migration procedures. I had to go get a green card, and I'm someone that I was married to an American, right? So it was it was easy for me to do, and and I'm someone that uh, my, I saw that movie, Green Card. Yes, was, yeah, yeah, it was. My, my my wife would like that. My my. Um, <laughs> The thing of it is, is is my job has fungible locations, so I can work where wherever I want to. I love living in the U.S., and I elected to pay taxes here, and it was a very difficult process. I can't imagine uh, what it's like for people with with, uh, with with less resources than I have. And yet, what do you do to make that better now? Well, I think one of the things I know Gloria, uh, who runs the WTTC, is, is 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 focused on having a, uh, a more of a seamless immigration procedure. I think a lot of that has to do with biometrics and technifying the immigration process without sacrificing security. Correct. Well, if you, I think Dubai is one of the one of the most secure places on the planet, and they take very good care of their visitors there. When you get there, it takes me less than thirty seconds uh, to get through security and immigration at any time. Exactly. And they register people really well. They they uh, they take your biometric passport and you pass through uh, relatively unscathed. It makes it very easy, and you see that in Dubai's visitors. Yeah. You see people elect to go to Dubai because, because they know they that. can get in. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, look. It sends a message. Mm-hmm. It does. It's, and it's the first message you send to a visitor. Correct. Here's how you're going to be welcomed, if at all. Yes. I landed yesterday morning here in Buenos Aires mm-hmm. after an 11-hour flight. I spent an hour and 20 minutes just to get through immigration because they had 25 different immigration stands of which nine were occupied. And they were hosting the World Travel and Tourism Council. So it was interesting. Had you made a left turn? Yeah. There was a fast lane you could have gone through because you were visiting from the WTTC. Yes, but they didn't mark it well. <laughs> they did not mark, mark it well. well. You are correct. So no but, special treatment for me. But that was a junior varsity mistake on your part, Peter. Come on now. You should have, you should have been looking all over. They had to have someone there for you. Are you accusing the host of this show of being <laughs> junior varsity? You know what? I'll, only I'll, on, only on finding the fast lane. Mea culpa. I know. But the point is, for everybody else, it was sending the wrong message. Correct. I agree. And, you know, we talk about infrastructure. We fixed a lot of that in the United States, believe it or not, in terms of uh, customs and border protection, mm-hmm. uh, the ease, the global entry. Yes. All those, I mean, that really works. I remember the first time I used global entry. You were co- in shock. It cost $100. Yeah. And I thought it cost, cost $100 every time you used it because <laughs> I thought waiting in that four-hour line at JFK was definitely worth $100 to bypass it. So it was to my great delight that I found out it was for five years. Well, I tell everybody, even if it's if you only fly once in five years, it's worth it. I agree. It depends on how much you value your time. But at the same time, it's the message that gets sent to your visitors that's like, Where's the word welcome in that? And if you're in a if you're an American Express Elite Card member, you they pay for it. So is that a plug? That is a definite oh, plug. Oh man, you are out of control. I love those people. <laughs> you are those people. What yes, are you talking about? but they're card people. I know. But bottom line is, there are models that other countries can follow to be able to very easily fix that problem. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is. People people don't understand how big the U.S. is from a from like for instance the U.S. cannot get its act together on having biometric driver's licenses which were supposed to be enacted into law I think 18 months ago and there's still plenty of states that don't have them they actually aren't you they're you're unable to use them to board aircraft that's right it's the it's the ID law which they just had to extend the because they couldn't fix it correct and I think part of that is because it's so big so people underestimate the number of visitors you know I don't know if you have this experience in Europe but when when I go to Europe, they forget that the market in the U.S. is usually 10 times as big as their individual home country market. Exactly. So it's usually 10 times as hard to fix. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio 
with no particular place to go. From National Geographic Traveler and a few other things, Costas Chris, how are you? Hi, Peter. Great to be with you right here. I know. I mean, normally we just do this by phone, and you're up in your farm in Maine. You still haven't delivered me any blueberries. I'm very upset. Well, the I know. season's coming. The season's coming, so now you're really not off the hook. Uh, but let's get down to, to real brass tacks here. You and I have had this conversation before about the word sustainable. Uh, everybody's got a different definition of it. It's sort of like ecotourism. We don't have to revisit that. But what you guys have just done, which I think is interesting, is taken that word sustainable and connect it to a relatability quotient about luxury travel. What do luxury travelers want, and do they even care about sustainable travel? And the answer is? Well, the answer is yes, because uh, Virtuoso just did their annual what they call Lux Travel Report. And the 2018 Lux Travel Report showed right across the board a growth in interest. And this is real. This is tangible. And this is, you know, through a global survey carried out through virtuoso travel advisors around the world, about 16,000 of them all around the world. In every instance, they reported growth in interest, except one category, what they referred to as the matures, the 80-year-olds. <laughs> so let's just say that the 80-year-olds maybe are past that point. I think we all know there are some 80-year-olds very passionate uh, let about me saving let, the planet. Let, let me tell you something. When my mom turned 80, she's no longer with us, but when my mom turned 80, I wanted to send her on a cruise. And her answer was, I don't want to be on a ship with a lot of old people. I mean, it's how people perceive themselves, too. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. It really is how they perceive themselves, absolutely. But the real takeaway from Virtuoso's Luxury Travel Report for 2018 is this. When you have post-boomers, first of all, we all know boomers are into this because they gave birth to Earth Day, they led the Back to the Land movement, so it makes good sense that boomers want to take a great vacation and, of course, have a good time and feel like they're making a contribution. But what's the big power takeaway? 80% of post-boomer travelers, Generation X, Millennials, and Gen Z, uh, 80, over 80% of them declared that sustainable travel, travel that cares for the planet, travel that cares for local people, and delivers a good, authentic vacation is their priority. So that drove their decision-making. Absolutely. And although, then, although, let me stop you on one thing, because I remember the old days when they were doing surveys about what do you look for in a hotel, okay? And people say, well, it has to have a health club, and it has to have a swimming pool. And then you go back and you go to that hotel, which is now occupied by 100%, right? It's 100% occupied. They say, what's your utilization rate at your health club? 4%. What's your utilization of the pool? 6%. But people say they wouldn't go there unless they had it. So that, get down, that got down to a different definition of luxury travel, where people just wanted the option of having the pool and the option of having the health club. But this goes deeper. This goes deeper. Also, when you take Gen Z, they were the meaning the youngest of these generations. They were the ones who were the highest on this. And when they reach virtuoso right now is saying that when they reach their buying capacity, when they have money, those teenagers now, they're going to overwhelmingly go for travel that. No, they're not asking about a hotel, a hotel with a pool. They're not asking about, you know, the health club. What they're saying is, I want to go on a great vacation, but I want to know what you're doing for your local community and how are you helping to protect the environment. They want to follow the money. Well, I'll give you another example. I was just talking to a group of millennials at uh, Northwestern University who were doing a study of sustainability as a case study in Singapore. And I was talking to the head of the group, and there was one thing he said to me that really struck me. And what he said was this. 
He said, you know, when we were looking at some of the uh, hotels in Singapore and their sustainability, and they were sending us information saying, we're doing this, we're doing that, we didn't focus on it that much. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I thought you guys are all about this stuff. They said, the reason we didn't focus on it is because we expect it. They were treating it as if it was some extra thing they were doing. We consider this standard business. We wouldn't even look at them. That's like telling us, hey, I'll go to your hotel if you have a bed. They're like, you know, uh, duh. Yeah. It's like that's the definition of a hotel. They're okay, now saying so now, yes. So now that brings up a question I want us to ponder because we're going to take a break in a second. But I want everybody to think about this. It's one thing for them to say, yeah, we expect the bed if you expect, you know, if you excuse the analogy. But are the hotels responding fast enough or the resorts or the destinations to meet those expectations as opposed to say, oh, it's an option. I'm one of those guys who, and I'm sure you do this, when my airline ticket approaches the cost of a Toyota, I question where I'm sitting on the plane. I mean, it's one of those things where where's the value there, right? And when someone tells me that they're doing something that is supposedly great for the environment or is sustainable or is dealing with a local culture in a way that, that, is, that is meaningful for them, the cynic in me says, really, show me the money. I really want to know what's going on. So when you tell me that the, 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 the group that you're talking to is saying, oh, no, we're not waiting for this as an extra. We're, we want all these things built into the package because we're expecting it to be built into the package. How many hotels are actually doing that now? How many resorts are actually doing that as a part of their, uh, of their mission statement, if you will? Uh, and that's a, I like the way you said as part of their mission statement because more and more they are. Peter, you and I are sitting right now in a Hilton hotel in Buenos Aires, as you just mentioned, we're at the World Travel and Tourism Council Global Travel Summit. What do we see all over the place? When I walked in to check into the lobby, right there front and, front and center, Hilton has a sign saying travel with purpose. Now, if you go on Hilton's website and you hit travel with purpose, see what comes up. They will list out the things they are doing in a commitment to have a smaller environmental footprint, emphasize the positive, and contribute to the community. And they're not the only ones. But let me ask you that, the second question following that. It's one thing about what they're doing. How do they involve their guests? Well, this now is the really kind of the cutting edge because it's not enough to just say we're doing it. We want to actually educate guests. So first of all, in the case of Hilton, just by simply having that so visible, they are already beginning to engage their guests. Just think of whoever. What does that mean, traveling with purpose, coming up? What's this? Is this something we can buy? What's this? Somebody explains that to them or tells them, take a look at this website. What does it mean? Well, it can mean anything. For example, in this community, Hilton could be partnering with uh, Tourism Cares on, on Thursday afternoon where they're going to bring people from this summit who are guests, by the way, to contribute to rebuilding the Argent uh, Buenos Aires Eco Park downtown. Do you know one of the other things in the Virtuoso Lux survey that was off the charts? People want to get hands-on. They want to feel like they're actually volunteering. And what that As means As opposed is, to just writing a check. Yes, that's right. And some will want to write a check. And you know what? If they write it to the right organizations, that's a great thing. I'll tell you another one. Francis Ford Coppola. He'll be appearing here tomorrow, okay? When his group go to Las Vegas to attend the Virtuoso Travel Week on Tuesday night, when many hotels are throwing... Uh, you know, parties and cocktails to, you know, talk about what they're doing. Coppola's group goes to the local women's shelter and brings the volunteers instead of at a cocktail, and they spend the night working with local women in a battered abuse women's shelter. And probably have a much better time in terms of genuine experience. 
and absolutely not only meeting fascinating, interesting people, changing your perception of what a women's shelter, what a survivor of sexual harassment or abuse or whatever. Oh, yeah, may by be. the way, folks, in case you hadn't noticed, you go to a woman's shelter, you're not seeing aliens, you're seeing your neighbors. Got it. Yeah, that's it. So again, what I'm what I'm getting at here is in that sense, the sky's the limit in ways that we can do things for local people, for the planet. We're just getting started, and I'm excited that the younger generations, and I'm a baby boomer, Peter, just like you, the younger generations coming up behind us are taking this to the next level, and the next level for me is not, oh, tell me what you're doing extra. They're saying this, this should be the definition of what your travel company is, and if it's not there... I don't want to go with you. So they vote with their wallet. Um, and, and people can do that. Uh, what's interesting to me, though, is it's not about rate anymore, is it? It's not about the rate you're paying. It's about the value you're, you're perceiving and receiving. The value you're receiving and the impact you're having. Yeah. I forgot that part of it. Sure. But it's got to be tangible. It, it always does. You know, uh, we're in, you've heard me say it before, we're not in a trend of travel. We're in a transformation of travel. We are literally seeing the travel industry before our eyes undergo a revolution. Those who've been slow to respond to it, meaning the sustainability revolution, those who've been slow to, to respond, they're going to be left by the wayside. So we're seeing not only, I, I mentioned Hilton a moment ago, there, I can hardly think of one major hotel group in the world that doesn't have this issue of how do we commit to a local community and demonstrate to our guests our care for the planet. Well, one of the reasons why you're seeing so many hotels doing it is basic com competition. They see the other guys doing it, uh-oh, we better do it too. Yes, and you know, the other question is if, if doing good means doing well in a business sense, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'd love to see the business world make money by being environmentally friendly because I'm tired of seeing the business world, and I mean all of it in the context of whether it's energy or others that are out there making money by polluting. Those days are over. I'm very happy to say that National Geographic in just a few months' time is going to announce a major global campaign to get rid of what we call, you know, first-use or one-time-use plastics. Uh, you may have seen the news in the Mediterranean, the world's most popular tourism destination next to the Caribbean. A sperm whale washed up on shore. Nobody knew how it died or why so they it died. saw what it ingested. 60 pounds of plastic trash floating in the seas. We Ooh. cannot let this continue. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. 
But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.